Father, we continue to worship this morning and praise you that we get to behold Jesus, uh, the only begotten Son of the living God, the Lamb and the Lion. Thank you for your Son who wins the victory and makes all things well. And Lord, we praise you and thank you and pray that your word would be spoken here this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Hey, welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us either online or in person, thank you so much for engaging and embracing the family here at Midland Free. Um, Last Sunday, our church took an opportunity to um, serve our local community. We've called it a number of different things. Most recently, we're calling it Love Local. It's part of our Go Local Teams initiative to serve the North Midland area. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, we went out there with people we know and love and serve those who we didn't yet know, but we still love. And some of the jobs that we did were very, very dirty. Uh, Some of the people are skilled laborers that go out and help. And some of the people like me are not. And so folks like myself and others were given the dirty work. I stayed out of the dirtiest of dirty work, but one group in our uh, team was actually given the job to clear a ditch and it was a drainage ditch and it was ugly and mucky and yucky and they did an excellent job and I watched them clear that ditch and I was really having a little bit honestly no offense a trouble not being cynical I mean I'm looking at this thing and I'm like it's grass it's weeds it's gonna grow back <laughs> I mean <laughs> Well, it's going to happen. Next week, the grass is going to come up. It's going to need cut again. What's going to happen the week after that? The leaves are going to fall. We're going to have to rake them again. It's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. How many of you have ever felt that way about your work? The leaves are going to fall. The grass is going to grow. And we're just going to do it over and over and again. Do we ever make any progress? Does it have any value? Is it meaningful? Today, I'd like to explore the topic of meaningful work. What makes work meaningful? Kids, if you've been paying attention, I've been kind of hard on work early on, along with this author of Ecclesiastes, talking about the vanity of work in and of itself. As you pursue it of its own end, you find that it runs dry, or it turns out to be a grasping at the wind. But is it possible, is there any way in which our work could actually have meaning or have value? Today in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to dive into that and say, what does meaningful work look like? Now before we do, let me say that this applies to you. And by you, I mean each and every single one of (laughs) y'all. Whether you're young or old, retired or in between. Maybe you're here and you're retired today. Anybody retired? Anybody retired? You don't want to raise your hands because you know what that means. We're going to be looking at you to do more work, right? How many of you have felt like since you retired, you need to go back to work in order to get your life back? You're more busy now, perhaps, maybe than you were even when you were working. Some people have expressed that to me. Whether you're retired, whether you're a child Whether you are employed, whether you're a homemaker, wherever you're at, no matter who you are, you have a work to do. It's actually part of this portion that God has given to us. Because you are human, it means you get to work. Being made in the image of God means that you are a worker. 
coming from Adam and Eve, who are the original workers in the Garden of Eden, means you get to work. Even Jesus himself had work to do. And most often we think of the cross and we say, yeah, well, that's perfect. That's just for him. But guess what? Not only did he go to the cross, but before that, he was a carpenter. (laughs) He worked. He just plain worked. We all, as human beings, being made in the image of God, have been given a work to do. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, from the very beginning to the very end, you have a work to do. If you're a tiny, two-day-old baby, you have work to do. You need to learn how to poop and sleep. That's step one. And that'll probably take a little bit. But all the way through, no matter who you are, you've got work. And so today I want to look at three things that make work meaningful. Three things from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Three things to discover meaningful work. So let's read those verses together. Um, I'm going to really focus on the first 4 through 12 verses. uh, Verses 13 and 16, I'll let you pursue later on your own, but... Let's look at verse 4. It says this. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And get this, his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who is no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's palace. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving After the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I said, I'm not going to go into the youth and wisdom and age at the end. Wisdom's a big piece of Ecclesiastes, and we'll pursue that in other ways as this text stacks layer upon layer. But I want to start with the work part, um, verses 4 through 12. And sometimes people, I forget to say, oh, this is where I got this. People ask, well, how'd you figure that out? Well, let me just give a little hint here. There's some symmetry in verses four through six. If you're looking for this, you can pursue it later. Um, Basically, there are three different examples. Verse four is 
the envy example, which is a highly skilled person. Verse 5 is the fool. It's the person who does nothing. And verse 6 is the person who is successful. So I won't... I, I pursue more of that in the life group question. So if you want to learn more about that, just go to our website. Go to, I think it's just Midland Free, then Sermons. And under the sermon links, you'll find a click to a PDF. Click on that. You can have all the extra detail there. But I'm going to pursue it in these three ways. One, two, and three. What makes meaningful work? And the first one is this. What makes meaningful work? Meaningful work is hard work. Meaningful work is hard work. Now, that may not seem like, oh, too profound, but the reality is this. Many of us want work to be easy. We wish it all went well, but good things take time, and often the best things are the most difficult. Meaningful work is hard work. Now, this is taught, this work ethic, all throughout Scripture, but we're looking at wisdom literature, so what they do is they sort of contrast those who work hard and do well and those who do not and do not. Now, we know from life experience and indeed the book of Ecclesiastes that it's not a 100% guarantee. It's a rule of thumb. It's a general principle. It doesn't mean that every time you work hard that you're going to score an A+. There may be other circumstances outside of your control. The Bible gets that. But generally speaking, as a rule, in principle, the way it works is Hard work does better than not working hard at all. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning verse 30, compares the, he, he observes this field of one who does not work. And we're not agrarian, right? Like uh, we live in Midland, but if you were in a farming community, you could tell the difference between a field that was well cared for and one that wasn't. You can tell the difference between a home that is well cared for and one that isn't. You can tell the difference between someone who manages their assets well and someone who does not. It's very clear. And that's what this author, uh, probably Solomon in Proverbs 24, is doing. He has no sympathy for the sluggard whatsoever. He says this, I pass by the field of the sluggard or the lazy, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it and I looked and received instruction. What can I learn from this mess, from this mistake right in front of me? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. Indeed, idleness eats away. Here is a point, kiddos, if you want to write it down. Idleness eats away. What happens is this. is It might be really, really nice to let those leaves fall for one day. And indeed, there's rainy days and you can't rake them and we get it. But if you never rake your leaves, what will happen is they will sit on top of your lawn. And eventually, the grass will die. Now, this is not a sermon about having a beautiful lawn because it really doesn't matter in the end but the point is this is idleness eats away if you just let things go eventually they go beyond your control it requires constant maintenance and hard work and this guy observes that and what he sees is that the idleness eats away number one at one's possessions idleness eats away at one's possessions 
if you want your stuff to look well, you got to pick it up. If you want your room to be a livable place, kids, you got to pick up your room. If you want your house to be a decent spot, folks, you got to take care of your house. It's pretty simple. Idleness eats away. It destroys your stuff. Idleness eats away. But more importantly, as you know, we're not a church or a people or a religion all about stuff. What's more important than stuff is not what we own, but who we are. And actually, this is the reason, this itself is the reason why idleness is so terrible. Why idleness is a horrible sin. Not because it eats away your stuff, but because it eats away your person. It eats away your person. It destroys your possessions and it destroys your person. Victor Hamilton, one commentator, says it like this. He says, every person takes on the character and nature of the God he worships. You are what you worship. And if your love is rest, enjoyment, relaxation, then idleness will begin to become your God and eventually it'll eat away at you. Look at how this works in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15 says, They went after false idols and became false. You are what you worship. You become like the God you serve. That's why it's important for us to serve Jesus and nothing else. Because you become the like the God you serve. Now, interestingly enough, just for fun... For those who care, do you remember at the beginning of the series, I talked about the word hubble, vanity, vanity, wind, vapor, fog. Let's throw that other slide back up there, Leah, real quick, just for fun. 2 Kings 17, 15. Guess what the Hebrew word for false is? Hebel. How about that? Vanity, meaningless, vapor. Again, Jeremiah 2, 5. The Lord God says they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. You are what you worship. You become what you pursue. When you be chase Jesus, you become like Jesus. When you chase other things, you become like those other things. And guess what the word, Hebrew word for worthless is here? Hubble. Exactly right. Vanity, vanity. See, again, another commentator says idleness eats away who we are, eroding self-control, our grasp of reality, our capacity for care, and in the end, our self-respect. I have seen this. I have passed by the field of the sluggard. I have gone to the home of the sluggard. I have seen what happens to them, and it is gross. It is disgusting. It is repulsive. And that is what Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 5 is saying, let's look at that a little more closely. It says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Now, what does that mean? Do we take that literally? No. This is 
a metaphor or an image that the author is using to show you how disgusting idleness is. You've probably seen a dog do this before when they're just laying around gnawing on their arm and they mess something up. It's really gross. And that's the idea of someone who's not taking care of their house and not taking care of their, their stuff is they are just decaying or rotting or going to pot. And it's gross. Kiddos, you need to work hard. Adults, you need to work hard. Everybody, you need to work hard. If you're a Christian, you don't get away with taking it easy. You have to work hard. Hard work is part of being human. Hard work is being part of made in the image of God. Hard work is what builds character. And if you don't work hard, then this text says you're a fool or a sluggard. And see what will happen to you. Number one, meaningful work is hard work. It just plain is. In order to be successful at anything, you absolutely must work hard. Number one, work hard. Number two, for what? For what? Why should I work hard? I mean, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Hard work is hard. It would be more fun to be a sluggard and sleep in and feel good and fold our hands and rest. Why? Why should I work hard? Imagine all of us have a number of different answers for that. Some of us may say, well, I work to provide for my family. Good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I work because I find it meaningful or fulfilling. Well, good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But as we've said earlier in Ecclesiastes, no matter what you work for, it seems like no matter how hard you work, we never quite get it. Like it's not just right. We don't get there. Like there's always something more to be improved. There's always something better. I mean, watch a commercial and it's version two, version three, version four, version five. It just keeps coming and it's never quite perfect. As it turns out, that's the way it will be in this life, as Ecclesiastes says, under the sun. As long as we live under the sun, we will never quite get there, wherever there is. We won't. It's not going to be perfect. All labor, all work, all toil, no matter how hard, will still come up short. Why? Because as Piper so eloquently says, the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, by God himself. As it turns out, it is not what we are working for, but who we are working for. It is not a what, but a who. You see, we work not so that we can get something, but we work so that we will obtain someone. We work for that, as Piper says, the all-satisfying object, the surpassing value in the universe, the person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not working to get something, we're working to get someone. He is the only perfect one that when you obtain it, you will actually say, Oh, I got it. 
Look at Ecclesiastes earlier in this chapter. It says the eyes are not ever satisfied. Amen. I mean, we see, we see, we look, we want. It just never stops. I want to pluck out my eyes, but then what would I do? You see, the problem is not my eyes, it's my heart. And plucking out my eyes won't fix that. My heart needs to be set on the right thing, the all-satisfying, immutable, eternal object of infinite value, the best thing in the whole universe that actually is perfect and can't ever get any better, Jesus himself. That's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, chapter 3, indeed, I count everything else as loss, as vanity, Ecclesiastes would say vanity. Paul will say scubula. Indeed, I count everything else as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as vanity, rubbish, scubula, dung, in order that I might gain something. Some perfect state where everything goes right and never goes wrong again. If you gain that and you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. I count them lost for the sake of gaining Christ. That's what we're after. Think of the transfiguration for a moment. When James, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain and Jesus' glory is blown away in front of them. They're not thinking, man, I wish I had a 52 inch instead of a 47 inch. You know, if I could only get this year's model, I would have got leather seats. The nav system in that car is so much better. And man, does my neighbor have a nice yard. That is not where they were at at that point. They weren't thinking about their fishing business and how they might exponentially gain several more boats and several more workers so that they could get several more fields and several more whatever else's. In fact, at that moment when Jesus' glory is revealed, they are blown away so much more. They have, they have no idea what to do. Like, oh, uh, what do we do? <laughs> this is incredible. They weren't thinking about anything else. At that moment, their eyes were satisfied. When will your eyes be satisfied? When you behold Jesus. That is the only ever time and even then you will still be searching after his infinite value for all of eternity you won't be bored you won't be like yep saw him got him good no no there is so much there you can stare at him forever and still keep being blessed only when you look at jesus will your eyes be satisfied otherwise under the sun they'll always want more Number one, what makes meaningful work? Hard work. Work hard. Work hard. Number two, it's not just what we work for, but who. Number one is work hard. Number two is work for. Number three is work with. Work with. Number one, work hard. Number two, work for. Number three, Work with. Work hard, work for Jesus, and work with others. Work with others. 
Now, I know there's a lot of different personalities in this room. Depending on where you're at, teamwork may be something that's highly emphasized in your organization, or maybe not. Maybe it's an individualistic culture where you're all individual performers and it's on you to succeed. Either way, what happens is the Bible clearly indicates that God has made us in his image, which is a communal image as the Trinity, so too with humanity. And as a result, we do better in community. We do better in community. Um, I want to give a quick example that I read this week. It's not in my notes. It's this. It may be really cool to feel like you're an individual. But if we are sheep, guess which sheep is the first to get attacked by wolves? It's the one that's standing out there by itself. That's the one the wolves go after. You see, there's strength in the numbers. There's strength in the pack, especially if you are falling, fighting, or freezing. Falling, fighting, or freezing, those are the three sub-points under this third point. And basically, the big idea is this in verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. (laughs) I even understand that math. Two are better than one. First of all, if you are falling, verse 10, are we able to show that one real quick? Verse 10 says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Not too long ago this summer, I got very, very sick. Not with COVID. I have no idea what it was. But it was literally like 12 hours of gut-wrenching yuck. I mean, I was on the floor. I couldn't stand up. I went to bed fine. No issue whatsoever. Happy as a lark. And all of a sudden, I woke up. I was dizzy. I almost fell out of bed, crawled to the bathroom. And there's where I spent the rest of the night. It was miserable. Never been that sick yeah, I mean, I've been sick before, but not that sick in a long time. I remember that, and I think of it afterwards, and I was really, really glad that my wife was not too far away. She was in the bed, and she was, I'm sure, awake, but giving me a little bit of space. But I knew that if I died, which I thought I might, <laughs> there was someone there to call 911. I mean, I wasn't sure. I'm like, am I having a stroke? Is this a heart attack? What is this? This is bad. I am just heaving and nothing is happening. And so I'm just waiting to be like, I'm done. But there she was. But what if I had a gold bar? I mean, I work so hard and I work so successfully. That's what verse four says. This person worked out of envy. Their motivation was envy. They wanted more, 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 more. What if I had a beautiful, shiny gold bar? I mean, it would never, it would never tarnish. I could, I could sleep there with that gold bar and be like, oh, you're so beautiful. You never need to comb your hair. You never complain. You're just beautiful. Or what would be better? Something that could actually keep me warm. Like my wife. You might actually be able to help when I fall down and get sick. She could actually call 911 to make a difference. But if that gold bar is sitting there, it's just laying in bed, laughing at me. Nothing's going to happen, Mr. Rich Man. 
good luck with that. But if I am poor and have my wife, I am rich and not alone. See, two are better than one, especially if you're falling. Especially if you're falling. Now, who, go ahead and raise your hand, I dare you. Who has ever been through this life without falling? You've never fallen. Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand and then walk right up here. I'm going to (laughs) watch. I think I know what's going to happen. We've all fallen. Think of parents and their little toddler. They're going down the street in every single sidewalk. They're like this. I mean, like, grab the hand because here comes another little crack. Whoop, <laughs> up they go. And you can almost predict it if they're looking at a leaf or a bunny or whatever. Kaboom, down they go. And they get up a few more steps and kaboom, down they go. Eventually, we learn how to be adults and we pretend like we never fall. And occasionally, we do and we jump up and we're like... Nobody saw that. (laughs) I'm okay. I mean, falling is embarrassing. It hurts. It is no fun. And yet, every single one of us has done it. We've all physically fallen down. At some point, we need to admit it and just say, it's much better to be walking along and holding somebody else's hand. Even though we're not toddlers, it sure would help if we had someone there just to go boom and pull us up. Two are better than one. Two are way better than one. Toddlers, look, think about rock climbing. If that other illustration doesn't work for you, someone's got a hook in, someone's got a belay. I like watching these mountain climbing movies where, you know, it's blowing snow and ice and all this. I mean, literally in those situations, they're like, strapping on to the other person and what you're committing to then is basically if you if that other person starts sliding either you stop them or you go over the edge with them you're saying to them by hooking on to you my life is tied to you and i will either save you or i will die trying what in the world would happen If our relationships were like that. If we actually hooked into one another so firmly that we said, I'm here for you when you fall. Because you will, and I will too. Let's just admit it at the start. None of us are Superman. We're all going to fall. And when you do, I am so committed to you that I'm either going to help you up or I'm going to die trying. Now that's what I call love. That's a real relationship right there. That's what Jesus has done for us, and that's what we should do for others. Two are better than one, especially when you're falling. Especially when you're falling, and not just when you're falling, but also when you're in a fight. When you're in a fight, and hopefully you're not in a fight with the one that's hooked up to you. But that happens sometimes too, and that's why it's so important to get that figured out. Because it doesn't work if a house is divided. It doesn't work. But a friend is helpful in a fight. When I was in seminary, this is like 20, this is way more than, yeah, this is 20 plus years ago. Um, I remember my bachelor party 
And it's a seminary bachelor party, right? So it's not too crazy, okay? And the craziest part was a paintball game. And to get together with a couple of your buddies, what I learned is the value of shoot and move. Like, there's one guy behind a barrier, and there's two guys that are working together. The one person stands up and just keeps shooting. Just don't even stop. So that person behind the barrier, if they stand up, what happens? They get popped in the head. Meanwhile, the other person who's not shooting runs up on them. So that the person behind the barrier, if they happen to move, they get shot. And if they don't move, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> they're going to get shot. <laughs> Either way, they're getting shot. Two are better than one. If you're in a fight, it's really handy to have a friend. A big friend. A big friend. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Good word. Ecclesiastes says it like this in verse 12. I don't know if we can jump back there. I don't see the slide. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes says this. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one if you're falling. If you're in a fight... And if you are, what was the third F? Freezing. I was really excited to use three F words in church today. (laughs) Now you will remember it. They all start with F. Three F words, falling fight, freezing. Verse 11. (laughs) You're still laughing at that. (laughs) Let that sink in a little. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, again, when I was in seminary at my bachelor party, I thought I knew what this meant. (laughs) I'm telling all my friends, hey, my favorite verse right now is Ecclesiastes (laughs) 4.11. And then I got out of seminary and I studied the text. and I found out probably I'm wrong. Which is what happens most of the time I study the Bible. I realize, man, what I thought it meant, I missed. And what it actually means is something different. But if you look at this text, if you look at this context, which is actually where most of the interpretation is going to come from, is the verses around it. What happens is, um, this is from the standpoint of someone in the ancient Near East who's going on a journey, and more than likely that's by foot. And as a result, through this Palestinian territory where there are narrow ravines and steep cliffs like you'd encounter at the Grand Canyon or, you know, I don't know, some steep place where we hike around here, that's what they would experience. And as a result, falling was a big deal. Like they want to be careful because they don't exactly have the Michigan Department of Transportation to make sure there's rails and the potholes get filled and everything else. They're just walking alongside of a path and there might be problems. And if they fall over, they die. Falling's a big deal. Not only is falling a big deal, but fighting is a big deal because they also don't have the Michigan Highway Patrol. They don't have the state police. And so they're going along the highway and there's a good opportunity that someone may take advantage of a lone traveler. They see someone on their own. They're like, this is a good one. Let's get him. You want to take some friends so that if you get in a fight, you'll be all right. And so too is sleeping on this journey because there's no Motel 6 or Holiday Inn or anything else. Instead, you walk for a while and then you stop. 
And when you do, you lay down and you go to sleep. And it gets pretty cold in environments like that. So even if you're um, not married and you have no intention of being together whatsoever, it's still better to have two than one. Because if there are two people, then what happens? Each person's carrying his own pack and each person has a blanket. And you'd be like, hey man, hey man, I don't know, okay. And then you sleep next to each other. One guy grabs his blanket, the next guy grabs his blanket. All of a sudden now, how many blankets do you have? Two are better than one. And you're a whole lot warmer. See, two are better than one if you're falling, fighting, or freezing. Either way. Two are better than one. There's protection. There's encouragement. There's comfort. There's support. There's security. There's help for when we get in trouble. There's all these things that we need. Because two are better than one. So how then does this impact our work life? Well, uh, first of all, we got to work hard. We know that. The Bible makes it clear. Work hard. In order to do well, you have to work hard. If you're not working hard... Your work's probably not that meaningful. Work hard. Find something that challenges you, pushes you. Work hard. But number two, don't just work hard for work in and of itself, but instead work hard for Jesus. Every ounce of effort, every cup of water, every single little thing you do for Christ will be paid back. Ephesians chapter six or five, I think talks about bond servants explains that really beautifully but every single every single drop every single bit of effort you pour out when it's done for gaining jesus comes back with a reward and then finally work hard work for work with look it's just going to go so much better if you work with someone else i mean think about breakfast for example if i'm making breakfast for myself I can pour myself a bowl of cereal. Effective, accomplished it, good job. But what if I had to make breakfast for all of you? There's no way I could do that by myself. I would need help. I can accomplish so much more by working with someone. And then if I'm working with you and some crook breaks in and tries to steal our cereal, I've got somebody to help me fight back. And if it's cold... Well, I don't know. We'll do something to make ourselves warmer. (laughs) But it's better. Understand. Working together is better. Work hard, work for, work with. And what you'll discover is meaningful work. Work that is done for Jesus with someone else adds up. Work hard, work for, work with. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for giving us a work, a good work to do. Please help us to do it well. Oh, Lord, it's not easy. It can't be done alone. None of us are that strong or that perfect, but you are. And so I pray, Lord, as we get to work, that we do what you've called us to do, that you would help us to work well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.